I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. This is The Athletic Hockey Show. We are back for a Thursday edition of The Athletic Hockey Show, taking you right into All-Star Weekend. It's Ian Bettis, Sean McIndoe with you on the Thursday episode of The Pod. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna look. We got a little bit of a break here in the schedule in the NHL, so we're gonna kind of look at some bigger picture things, including uh, Sean's piece on Gary Bettman and uh, the 30th anniversary of the Commish. We'll look at some playoff matchups. Uh, U.S. TV numbers are in, the ratings are down. We'll try and dive into why that might be uh, the case. We got some voicemails, we got some emails. Uh, we don't have Jesse Granger. Uh, no Granger things uh, brought to you by BetMGM this week. That's because Jesse Granger is uh, en route to Florida, I believe, is uh, is what we were told. Now, I don't know. Yeah, so I guess, come, I guess I my flight doesn't leave until later, maybe? Is yeah. that, uh, I didn't uh, I didn't get the ticket yet. But it's, hey, you know what? Good for Jesse. It's nice that he's going to get down to nice sunny Florida, get out of the, the cold and the misery dry. of Vegas. Uh, boy, oh, it's got to be rough on him. Just... Get some sunshine. Yeah. yeah. You and I will hold down the Ford up here in Ottawa. In Ottawa, Canada, where, by the way, I don't know how to to do this in the Fahrenheit, but there, there, at some point, there's a there's a point in the minuses when Fahrenheit and Celsius kind of catch up, and it's like it's the same thing. Yeah, uh, we're headed for that uh, kind of in in the eastern part of Canada this weekend. We are going down to minus thirty five with the wind, uh, roughly wow. minus thirty five, minus forty. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, you know, and what? I always love that when they say "with the wind." <laughs> with the wind. It it's my you know it's minus twenty five, but it feels like minus forty. Well, that sounds like minus forty to me. Then you know that's I'm not really interested in what the temperature is. Yeah. You know. Just tell me what it feels like. That's yeah. all that. Ma- it's like humidity, right? Like uh, yeah. with humidity. Just tell me what it is with humidity because that's yeah. what it is. Like I'm going outside. You know, just how many. How many coats do I need to wear? And the answer this weekend is all of them. Wait, okay. You know what? Now, when you get to like minus 35 or minus 40, we need like a hockey nick. Like, who's the last player to end a season like minus 40? You know what? That's, good. The, that's a good okay. question. So, we need okay, to find let, 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 how, how, what's the quickest way to look that up? NHL.com that's, that's, or hockey? That's reference? a stat head thing. No, no. NHL.com okay. is so I, the I, quickest way to look up anything. No. <laughs> I'm going to look this up. 
because I'm thinking minus four. So, you know, like the way we should say it is like, you know, it's minus 25 outside, but it's actually, yeah. you know, in, in certain. And if, it gets, if it gets to Bill Mickelson, then that's that's when the. Was that the guy who has the all time record for the yeah, low, he's, worst? Yeah, he was minus, minus 82 in a season. Oh. Uh, and in fact, most of the guys who who are at the top of the list are all guys from the, the 74 uh, Capitals, the <laughs> worst team uh, probably in the history of the NHL. Um, and Bill Mickelson went minus 82. And that was back when the season was only minus 80 games 82. long. So, yeah. Holy cow. That's okay. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm looking this up right now. I'm going to base this on, I'm going to just, let's go from the, like in the shootout era though. Like, like mm-hmm. let's find the worst season you know what Plus, seems to minus. be the worst is last year Keith Yandel was a minus forty-seven. Another yet another rough, uh, rough. Uh, it, it was a rough year for Jeez. Keith. You know he breaks the Keith Iron Man record, gets benched, loses the Iron Man record. He remember he retired on like the say, and then an hour later Zdeno Chera retired, and nobody yeah, remembered right. that <laughs> Keith Yandel like, had yeah, made yeah. his announcement. He's You're a minus up. forty-seven last season. So there I you think go. That's We're the not worst. quite. We're not getting down to Yandel weather, but uh, that that is the worst of uh, of the cap era. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at it here. That you have to get down to um, Gord Deneen and good old Darren Rumble from the Ottawa Senators in '93 uh, '94 got uh, got under fifty. So, gosh, yeah. So when it go. gets it, when it gets down to the Darren Rumble mark, you, you just stay inside. You oh don't, uh, man, that that to me plus like Darren like is that not one of the best hockey names ever like you're, you're like legit your name's darren rumble it's an absolutely fantastic like, hockey name uh, i'm not sure you're topping that name I, it, his in, name was fantastic and i believe if i'm if i'm not wrong his other claim to fame was that in uh nhl pa 93 he was one of the three senators defensemen who was rated a two out of a hundred as his overall rating yeah he was on that inaugural uh yep. senators team that was he was you know whatever Oh man, yeah, minus fifty. You're right, minus fifty for Darren. <laughs> you minus can tell there's no games because we're five minutes into the podcast. Or, or like we're breaking uh, out we're, Darren Rumble trivia. We're deep into the Darren Rumble hockey reference page. Yeah, you know what uh, the yeah. second most interesting thing about Darren Rumble is? <laughs> oh wow, okay. Yeah, holy cow! Darren Rumble was a first. Sorry, this is my last Darren Rumble fact. <laughs> no, it's Darren not. Rumble was a first. No, no, he was a. Fir- did you know he was a first round draft pick? I did not know that. See, no. look at this. First on traffic in the Philadelphia Flyers. 20th overall. Look at look, hey, look at Darren Rumble going Jeez. out and getting it. Yeah. Maybe every week we just need to do that. Like rando, like just a rando player. We just dive into something uh, you know, unique about his I career. feel like anyway. we do do that. I feel like it just it just showed up a little bit earlier uh yeah. this this usually, time around. But yeah. Yeah. You usually it's later in the pod. Uh listen, you you wrote a piece this week and and I talked about this on the Monday uh, episode with Julian that Wednesday was going to be an interesting day in hockey because it, it, it was going to mark the 30th anniversary of Gary Bettman uh, taking over as commissioner. And you were likely going to see a lot of like kind of reflective pieces on, on this, uh, on, on this anniversary, kind of looking at his tenure. You, you did a very comprehensive, uh, comprehensive, I'll call it a clear eyed kind of very objective look at, at, at Bettman's tenure before we delve into that. And some of the, uh, you know, maybe the, the feedback he got from readers. And, 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 and I think that it's a great topic because, you know, when you've been in charge for 30 years, uh, you're going to have a legacy that's, that's polarizing. Um, I asked this question to Julian, let me ask it to you. 
Do you believe that there should be term limits on commissioners in sports? Uh, and I don't think the term limit, like I'm not talking like a U.S. president, like it's it's maximum eight years. I don't think you can do enough uh, in 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 eight years, maybe as a commissioner, but maybe at 15 or 20. Like, do you think that there should be a cap on the like the term of a commissioner of a of a particular sport? Yeah, I mean, it's I, I think there probably should be an unofficial term limit in some sense in that when you've been, you know, there's not a lot of companies out there right now that are really kicking butt that have had the same CEO for 30 years. Um, things evolve, things change. And uh, it's, it, that's a very, very long time for anyone to be in charge of, of anything. Um, especially given that with Gary Bettman, there's, there's no end in sight. I mean, there's, there's not even a succession plan that we're aware of. It, it seems like, uh, he's he's going to keep going. Um, you know, whether you want to formally put one in or not, I, I don't know. I mean, that would be ultimately up to the owners to decide if, if they actually felt it was in their best interest to make sure uh, that they had some some uh, a fresh set of eyes every now and then. I, I will tell you, if they ever did put that rule in, how long do you think it would be before they broke their own rule and, you know, decided, ah, you know, we're, we're looking around and ah, we don't see any candidates we really like and, uh, you know, that sort of thing. But it would it would at least force them to be open to other opportunities and, and other voices that might be willing to come in. Because right now, um, I mean, even if, if you're an owner and let's say you're not happy with Gary Bettman, let's say you're 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 reading my piece and going, you know what, this guy's right. Uh, you know, a lot of these criticisms <laughs> are guy. landing for me. Um, it's, it's, he's, and he's handsome too. Like, wow, what a, oh my God. This, this guy's fantastic. I should hire him to run my hockey team. Um, yeah. you know, if you're sitting there, what are you going to do? You, you, you can't, uh, you know, you, the, the, Gary Bettman has consolidated power extraordinarily well from his perspective, uh, to make sure that he's, he's pretty bulletproof. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I mean, unofficially, absolutely. I think certainly, Owners should be looking around saying, you know, is, is 30 years uh, really uh, the right amount for the same voice? Um, but I don't think these owners are having that conversation these days. No. And, and you know, look, the, for, the, for the listeners of this podcast that didn't read your column on Wednesday, we'll give you kind of the, 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 the summation here, which is the premise of your piece was not just to look at what Gary Bettman has done in 30 years. Because I think when you when I read a lot of other people's pieces, that's what it was, right? Like, here's the 30 years of Gary Bettman. Here's what he did. Here's what happened. Lots of, you know, lockouts, all that stuff. The premise of your piece was a little bit different in that don't judge Gary Bettman on what he's done. Judge him on what could have been done in the last 30 years. Mm -hmm. At a time in which we've seen... Uh, you know, revenues explode, uh, skyrocket for every major professional sports league. The question is, could the NHL have monetized themselves more? Could they have maximized uh, their revenue, their their uh, visibility, their exposure? All these things that uh, and, and have the quality of the up. game too. Yeah. you know, it it, so, it it can't all be about the bottom line. Um, and even if you do want to view it all through the lens of the bottom line, um, the things that allow you to maximize that in the short term don't necessarily translate to the long term. So I'm, it, it, I'm, I'm exactly. very aware that the, you know, the premise that you just described, and, and that is, that is the piece that I wrote on some level, it's unfair to Gary Bettman. It's unfair to anybody to judge them and say, let's not judge what happened. Let's judge what could have happened. Um, and, and I, I did try very hard not to be just sitting here 30 years in the future with perfect hindsight 
um, and sitting there on my couch saying, here's all the things that he did wrong. Um, but what I, what I wanted to do is I want to get people out of this mindset that we do tend to see whenever Gary Bettman's legacy is discussed, which is people saying, well, look at the revenue. The revenue is through the roof. The, the NHL is making more money than it ever has. Franchises are worth more than they've ever been worth. Therefore, Gary Bettman has done a great job. Therefore, case closed. Um, and, you know, my request is let's go a little deeper than that. Because yes, revenues are, are through the roof, um, but revenues are through the roof in every sport. Quite literally, every sport out there uh, is making far more money now, far more revenue coming in than, than 30 years ago. I, I mean, that can't be where we set the bar because we've seen TV rights have exploded. Corporate sponsorships have exploded. Uh, new arenas that uh, many of these leagues are, are able to get the local uh, cities and municipalities to pay for these huge chunks of these profit-churning uh, modern arenas. Um, new revenue streams have opened up. All of this stuff. I, I mean, if if your bar for success for Gary Bettman is revenue went up, it, it would have quite literally been impossible for revenue not to have gone up. And when you look at how that line has gone up for the NHL, it looks very impressive. And then you overlay what's happened in the other sports, and suddenly the NHL doesn't look so good anymore. Uh, and 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 it, look, no reasonable person had an expectation that Gary Bettman was going to come in and make the NHL more popular than the NBA or Major League Baseball, or that he was going to be knocking on the NFL's door. But you know, simply as a case of you know, look at as a percentage how revenue has gone up in the NBA and the NFL and even Major League Baseball, and then look at what's happened in the NHL doesn't look like much of a success story anymore. You know, and I know there's going to be some, and you, but you point this out. You're like, hey, there's, uh, partially this is not going to be fair to Gary Bettman because it's, it's uh, like you said, it, it's hard to, to look back with, with the benefit of perfect hindsight. But even if mm -hmm. you uh, look at this and say, uh, this isn't going to be, uh, you know, perfect, absolutely uh, perfect hindsight. There, like, there's three or four things that that the league could have done. One thing that I that I saw from a lot of people, uh, and I don't I don't know if this is just an NHL problem, but they're saying that they feel like the standard of officiating and refereeing over the course of Gary Bettman's tenure. So you go back from you know '93 to now, that it is uh, significantly uh, impacted the product on the ice. Do you? Do you buy into that? Like, I did notice a lot of people saying, I am fed up with the refereeing. I'm fed up with the officiating. I, mm -hmm. I can't watch because of that. Like, do you buy into that? Because I'll, I'll bring up the fact that, in, heck, 1990, Gary Bettman's first year on the clock was the Kerry Fraser high Why stick, are you gonna do right? This? Like, Why you got to do this no, to me? No, no, I'm just saying. I feel like inconsistent refereeing has been a, like a part of this game for a long time. I, has it gotten worse under Bettman? Or are we just more cynical? Now. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know the answer to that question. Um, yeah. I, I put it this way. I think that, as I've argued before, many of the issues with the officiating are, are overblown. I think a, a, what a lot of people call inconsistency in the officiating is, is just their team not getting all the calls. Um, you know, yeah, we, <laughs> we don't like it when hockey is a sport where there's just a lot of 50-50 gray area calls. And when they go against your team, uh, you get mad because you're a fan, and that's that's what what we all do. And when we now have 
20 cameras on every game going into slow-mo replay and showing you it, it. And then at the intermission, they talk about how the call got missed. And then you go on social media and there's a thousand people competing to have the hottest take about how bad the officiating is. Uh, it, it probably does feel uh, like it's getting worse. I, I, th- I just think this is an extraordinarily tough game to officiate. And I don't blame Gary Bettman for the fact that it's it's a hard game to officiate. Now, I do think there are things the league could be doing better. I think they could, they could absolutely be more... Um, you know, frankly, more open when calls do get missed, when mistakes get made. I saw, you know, the the other day there was a controversial, I, I think it was a non-call on LeBron James in the NBA. And the NBA officials put out a statement saying, we blew the call and we're, you know, we're, we're not happy about it, but we missed the call. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you do see that to some extent from other sports. And when it happens, the nice thing about that is when the league says, no, we didn't blow the call, you have at least some reason to believe them. Versus the NHL, where it's every single time, inevitably, it's, oh, no, it's, uh, uh, we got it right. We have the best officials in the world, et cetera, et cetera, and, and all of this. So I think that's part of it, um, it, part of people's frustration with the game. And that's not very high on my list of things that I'm, I'm pointing a finger at Gary Bettman over. Man, like, okay. Now, let me ask you this question. And, and for this, I think we're going to need uh, to probably hear from younger people a bit younger than us like again we're in our four, like mid 40s like we grew up late 80s early 90s was kind of like our peak of watching hockey and loving falling in love with the game and seeing the game uh with, with high scoring and all that stuff um here's my question like are we and i when i say we i mean you and you and me in particular are we guilty of kind of romanticizing the game the way it was because back then we weren't cynical. We weren't jaded. We loved the game. Like, I guess here's my question. If we talk to people in their mid thirties, so maybe people that kind of their childhood was more of like the quote unquote dead puck era. Do they look back at the late nineties and say, man, I, that's, I love the game back then because that's when I fell in love with the game. I fell in love with Colorado, Detroit. I fell in love with Hashik and I felt like, do you know yeah. what I'm getting at? Like, yeah, no, I, I get it. There's, are are there's, we a little bit guilty of that or there, no? There's like, an old saying that the, the, the single best year of pop music is whatever year you were 16. Right. Um, and, yeah. uh, you know, there, there is an element of that. I, I can tell you, uh, you know, I, I don't know that I've ever heard anyone look back and say like, I, man, peak NHL was like 1999 when nobody was scoring and we had the skate in the crease. Now, you know, Colorado, Detroit, a lot of people love that element of the game. They love the fights and the bad blood and all of that that's that's largely gone out of the game. And some people blame Gary Bettman for that. You know, they, they'll point at the instigator and all this other stuff, which, by the way, he didn't even bring in. But um, and of course, there's a lot of other people who say, no, I'm glad we got rid of that stuff. And, and the game is is better now. But, you know, the, here's the depressing thing that, that you know, it, it, we don't even really we've internalized it so much. We almost don't realize it. You just described somebody in their mid-30s who has experienced the entire dead puck era. They're in their mid-30s. They're 30 years that scoring, uh, you know, has been down. And not just scoring, because, you know, the, the numbers on the scoreboard are, are only part of it. But this incredible focus on defensive hockey, conservative, cautious hockey, no mistakes, know exactly where to be, block shots, know, know where your stick needs to be to break up the passes. Uh, and you know, you see these, uh, these photos every now and then here's Alexander Ovechkin winding up for a slap shot and there's four guys in front of him, you know, all, all looking to block the puck. 
And yeah, very, very often, even today, with now, you know, scoring's gone up, whatever it is, 10%, we're all so excited about it. Uh, you know, even today, you, you see a lot of 2 1 games where the goals are just fluke goals. They bounce, they, people are throwing the puck at the net and it bounces off a skate, and that's the only way to, to, to get a puck into the net these days. And it's been that way for 30 years, for, you know, almost 30 years. Gary Bettman took over 92-93, a season that I've argued was the greatest season in the history of the NHL. It had, had just a million different stories, a, a million fascinating things happen. 93-94, um, he gets gifted a New York Rangers Stanley Cup win. And, you know, a lot of people, those mid-30s fans who, who aren't quite as old as us will, will be amazed at this. But you remember... In in the summer of 94, the New York Rangers were arguably the biggest thing in sports. I mean, they were everywhere. They were on Letterman every night. They were on MTV. They were on all. <laughs> Hold on. The, the, yeah, younger listeners are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Who's Letterman? Yeah, who's and Letterman? What is MTV? And what's MTV? Is that the reality yeah. show? I, yeah. You know, Mark Messier was dating Madonna back when Madonna was the most famous woman in the world. And, uh, you know, it was on the tabloids and everything. And uh, and then then comes the lockout, which obviously is a huge part of Gary Bettman's legacy. All the lockouts, all that all that interest and excitement goes away. You know, the summer of '94, very famously, Sports Illustrated has a cover that says the NHL is hot and the NBA is not. And the reason the NBA was not hot back then, and tell me if this sounds familiar, was the NBA game had become very defensive, very clutch and grab. Uh, you know, it was kind of this this grimy sort of grinded out game uh where the the stars weren't allowed to flourish and it you know it was all about shutting things down instead of making things happen and the nhl had had an opening there and no they weren't going to surpass the nba um realistically but they had an opportunity there and instead gary bettman chose a lockout which didn't get him anything other than uh lost half season and all that attention all that goodwill all the momentum was gone um, had the lockout also, by the way, the major league baseball strikes going on. So October is opens up. Nobody, there's no world series to compete with. Doesn't matter. The NHL isn't around because, because we're having a lockout and then the devils win the Stanley cup neutral zone trap comes in the next year. It's the Florida Panthers clutch and grab and the dead puck era arrives. Um, and you know, 95, 96 is really the last year that, that, you know, the cutoff that most of us would say that the dead puck era then begins. And we go 10 years of talking about scoring being down and talking about the excitement being down and the games being so dull and nothing happens. Little tweaks and things, you know, let's change a face off. Let's shave an inch off of this goalie's pad. No, no big ideas, no leadership. Nobody puts, you know, slamming their fist on the table and saying, this is not what we're going to let hockey be. Then we get another lockout. We get the, we lose the full year. We lose the Stanley cup. Um, Hockey comes back, scoring goes up for a little bit because it's all power plays. Um, but then pretty soon it drops right back down. We get another decade plus of low scoring, conservative hockey. Maybe it's a little bit better. Maybe it's a little bit more open, but really not very much. And, you know, and, and that brings us to today. And, and again, you know, scoring's up a little bit. Okay, great. But it's a little bit. It's nowhere near what it was when, when Gary Bettman took over. And yet there's now an entire generation of fans uh, who, you know, have grown up with the game and now they have their kids who are grown up with the game who have never seen hockey with more than, you know, six goals a game or so. Uh, and even, even worse, you've got an entire generation of players who've grown up in that system. You've got an entire generation of 
players who finished their careers in that system and then retired and became coaches. And now they're the ones coaching the game. And now, you know, we, we just finished, uh, or we're actually still, still in the middle of hiring season for the NFL for coaching. And one of, what do you always say whenever a team's looking for a, an NFL head coach? Well, is he, is he an offensive guy or is he a defensive guy? Oh, these, these young offensive minds, those are the guys. Who are the offensive minds among NHL coaches? It's ridiculous to even ask. That, that isn't even a concept yeah. that applies to hockey anymore. It, it didn't yeah. used to be that way. There used to be, def- you know, Pat Burns was a defensive coach. You brought Pat Burns in and he would, you know, he would lock it down. Ken Hitchcock, guys like that. Now, everybody is that. Every well, single no, tr- NHL don't coach Don't you feel is like Trotz kind of has that reputation now that he'll come in and kind of uh, maybe lock things like Washington. He's, brought him in. he's the goalie the whisperer, like- but there, there is every single coach comes in. And I mean, yeah. to the point where we've had one coaching change this year. What did Rick Tockett say when he came in in Vancouver, a team that's got Elias Patterson, a team that had, you know, had Bo Horvath, Quinn Hughes. Yeah. Quinn Hughes. And he says, we can't be playing this river hockey anymore. We got to lock it down. And you know, this, this, this idea that if you win five to four, you get bag skated, but if you lose two to one, okay, that's, that's fine. We're playing the game the right way. Um, right. you know, yeah. this is, this is all, this has been an entire generation, you know, Connor McDavid, the, who, who might be the most offensively gifted player in the history of the sport, ha- literally has never been alive in an era where that was allowed to flourish. Um, and you know, and to the point now where we're going, Oh, Connor McDavid might get 140 points this year. Isn't that great? Well, you know, guys used to get that, um, you know, who, who didn't need to be Connor McDavid. And, and I understand Every time yep. I say this, somebody will say, well, I don't want to watch 10-9 games. I like a guy, appreciate a good defensive battle. We all love a goaltending battle. We all love goalies sprawling around and making saves and making great, great plays. What I don't appreciate is, is a goaltender getting a shadow, facing 20 shots, 18 of which go directly into his chest because there's absolutely nowhere for anybody to shoot when the goalies are all six foot seven wearing these you know gigantic lacrosse uh, suits. Uh, and I can say that because Jesse's not on, so we don't have our goaltending union right. representative. And and I guess the last point I'll make on this, on the on the quality of play thing, because people might say, okay, that's that's interesting, Sean. That's how the game evolved. What's Gary Bettman supposed to do? And and the story that I always tell, and I'm, I've told it before, probably on this podcast, is 2004 in the NFL. They had a dream matchup in their conference final. It was Peyton Manning and the Colts versus Tom Brady. And the Patriots, huge deal, huge TV ratings, entire, you know, all the sports fans in North America are watching this game and the game stunk because what happened is the Patriots had a very, very physical defense and they went out and they basically mugged the Colts receivers and they turned it into a, a just an ugly defensive battle. Um, Peyton Manning, you know, couldn't do anything. Tom Brady barely did anything. They, they kicked the Patriots, kicked five field goals and won the game. And people looked at that game and went. There it is. The Patriots have cracked the code. The Patriots have figured out how you play against a guy like Peyton Manning, who at the time was in the, you know, in the conversation for one of the best quarterbacks we'd ever seen, but they figured it out. They figured out how to shut down this, this high powered Colts passing attack. And what happened in the immediate aftermath of that, the NFL looked at that and said, no, we are not having that. That is not going to be what our game is. We are not going to let this be a thing that everyone in the league copies. We're putting a stop to this. Now, and they didn't form a committee. They didn't spend 10 years, you know, moving the lines around a little bit or saying, we're going to make a slight change to where we put the football to start. They came in and they radically changed how the rule book was called that offseason. 
And they said, starting on opening night, this is the new way that this, this rule book is going to be called. And, you know, that was almost 20 years ago, and virtually every offensive record in the book has been broken since then. What's the last hockey offensive record that's been broken? You don't see them. In fact, it's so, it's so ridiculous now that you always see these NHL tweets out these stats. Connor McDavid has just done this. Alexander, you know, whatever it is, this is the number, and they, they show you a list. And you go, wow, look how high the guy is on the list. And then you see the little small print, and it always says, since, since 1996. 1995. Yeah. Or since, exactly. yeah. Because yeah. They, cause the, the NHL offensive record book has not changed in 25 years. And, and I'll say, Gary Bettman often comes out and he says, uh, you know, the, the quality of the players in this league has never been better. There's never been more skill. There's never been, you know, all of this. He's right on that. I will tell you, as, as, as much as I'm an old fogey who grew up in the 80s and 90s and, you know, I, I, I loved hockey back then, there has never been more skill in the league than right now. No, no question that there are guys in this league right now who can do things nobody could do back then. And there's, there's more of them and teams have got more skill on their third and fourth lines these days than they had on their second lines back then. But it's all being put to the service of 3-2 hockey Get into get to the third period, get tied, slow it down, play 10 minutes of boring hockey so we get to overtime and the, the loser point fairy shows up. And this is what hockey is. And if we had some vision, if we imagine if we had somebody who had done what the NFL did in 1996 when the Colorado Avalanche are waiting in the Stanley Cup final and you've got the Penguins playing the Panthers and you're going, man, we could be about to see Mario versus Joe Sackick, Forsberg versus Jagger, Patrick Waugh against Mario Lemieux, and instead the Florida Panthers basically open field tackle, hack and slash, and drag their way to beating the, the, the Penguins. What if Gary Bettman had seen that and said, no, we're not, that's not what our sport's going to be. But he didn't. There was no leadership. Nobody stood up and said it. And so everyone around the league looked at the Panthers and said, I guess that's how we're all going to play now. And pretty soon everybody was. And to this day, largely, everyone still is. And man, but, what would that alternate history look like if somebody had, had actually had some leadership and some some desire to to look at the product on the ice and not just focus on whatever was good for the bottom line on that particular day? Now, how much though? And and you talked about the current goalies basically being six foot six, six foot seven giants with the with the padding. I don't know. Like if you go back and look at the eighties. In particular, like when Gretzky's getting the 200 points and, and Mario's getting the 85 mm -hmm. goals and all that, a lot of that was due to just bad goaltending, not yeah, necessarily terrible, right? The, the goalies were bad live... and the style was bad. Right. But do you want to live in a world where, like, do you want, like, I guess here's my question. Like, I, I, I'd like to see McDavid get to 150 this year. I think that's a great mm -hmm. accomplishment. Like, what's it for you? Like, do you want to see... A, uh, an environment where he can push 200 points or is that too, like, you know what I mean? Like, do you want to see those, those records of the 90, 92 goals and 200 points? Do you want to see that stuff pushed or would you like to just see more? You know what? We just need more 50 goal guys. If that makes sense. Like, yeah, I, I, mean, I, I don't know. Like, I would like to see more scoring and then how that gets distributed. It's tough to say. Yeah. I mean, I would like it if Connor McDavid who is the most talented player that we have seen, I would argue, since Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux, could actually push for Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux numbers. I think that would be neat. Um, the idea that, you know, we're, we're looking at him going, 
man, is this guy as good as Mario? And yeah, but he's, he, he can only, uh, the most he can do is 75% of what Mario did in a year. And again, I, I'm not saying that the 80s was, was the perfect level. And, and and we can have that conversation. There there would be some people who would look at the 80s and go, man, that that was, a lot of that hockey, first of all, was sloppy hockey. And, and you know, the, the, the gold ending wasn't good. The defense wasn't good. I mean, yeah, Wayne Gretzky was great, but he's coming in untouched through the neutral zone and he goes across the blue line and he just winds up and takes a slap shot. The blue liner's backing up and the goalie can barely stand up and all of this stuff. Um, You know, I'm not, I'm not saying you go back to that, but uh, you know, yeah, the goaltenders have gotten bigger and better. Absolutely. And uh, what do you think would happen again to go in the NFL, right? You, you and I know that the defensive backs in the NFL tend to be smaller guys because they have to be fast and quick. What, what if there was some change in the style that these guys played some some coach came along and said here's here's a different way that we could play cornerback in the league let's say and suddenly all the cornerbacks were six foot six and they were just blanketing these wide receivers and suddenly like you just couldn't sorry justin jefferson jabbar chase all these guys can't do their thing because these giant defensive backs are shutting them down do you think the nfl would just shrug and go well i guess i guess we're a field goal league now i guess we're gonna grind it out Three three yards in a cloud of dust and win six to three. What can we do? Defensive backs just got bigger. Or do you think the NFL would sit there and go, no, no, we need to make sure our stars can be stars. So we're going to figure out something to do that's going to make sure that, that we maintain that balance. There, there's no chance they would just sit back and let it happen. And yet the NFL, uh, the NHL, that's, that's what we did for decades. And, and I don't know how you undo it now because it's been well, so long that it's just, it's, it's in the DNA of the sport now. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So this takes us, it's, a, it's the perfect segue into the U.S. television numbers that came out this week. And if you're just to look at them kind of year over year, this is now, you know, we're into this ESPN TNT uh, world. Uh, the numbers are down basically 22% year over year. Uh, that's a significant drop off when, when you consider you're now uh, with, with ESPN, you're with TNT, like you're in. Uh, most people, you should theoretically be in most people's homes that have cable. Uh, so to see a 22% year-over-year drop-off, is it's it's rather uh, shocking. And of course, the minute that happens, there's everybody's rushing to explain it. Sean Gentili, if you haven't read it, uh, did, a, I think, a really excellent piece on kind of trying to understand, well, why have the numbers fallen off? Uh, you know, one of his theories is, look, they're, they're putting some games up against Sunday Night Football, which is... Mm-hmm. Uh, akin to just taking a knee, uh, yep. you know, so that, that, that's part of it. Part of it too, is the archaic blackout rules that seem to be 
back in effect on, you know, he, he pointed out to look, there's been games where the Rangers are at home and that game is blacked out uh, in the New York market. The Penguins are at home. That's blacked out in the, in the Pittsburgh market. That's going to affect numbers. Uh, but, but should there be concern here that the numbers are 22% down year over year? I, I think there should certainly be concern. Um, but I, I do think Sean really did a great job of digging into the numbers and, and the NFL factor here is enormous. Um, now putting aside again, that we're 30 years into Gary Bettman's term and the idea that of the NHL going up against the NFL is so ridiculous that the, you know, we, we just all laugh like, haha, of course, nobody would ever watch the NHL when the NFL is on. I mean, that, that to me doesn't, again, doesn't sound like we've, benefited from great visionary leadership, but it is what it is. Um, and it's true in the United States, the, the NFL will, you know, wipe the NHL off the map if they go head to head. Um, and that is a big part of it. Look, when these numbers first came out, a lot of us, and, and I was, you know, I was one of, I was guilty of this to some extent on, on my show yesterday, seeing these numbers just in isolation and you can immediately project whatever, whatever you don't like about the NHL is the reason these numbers are down. Right. You know, it's it's because yeah. it's the game's the game's low scoring. No, no, it's because it's too high scoring now. And there's there's not enough penalties. They don't call the rule book. Oh, but there's too many penalties. It's not rough and tough like it used to be. It's the board ads. It's the offside reviews. It's you can you can pick anything. And, you know, as, as Sean digs into it, it's it's largely if you if you factor out that NFL uh, factor. It, it really becomes pretty similar numbers to last year, maybe even up a little bit. So um, I, I don't think people should panic about it necessarily. And I, I do think we have to wait and see where these numbers wind up at the end of the year. But it, it, the, the reality is the numbers went up last year, as you would expect, because there was a novelty to it. You suddenly have ESPN finally acknowledging the, the existence of the NHL again and, and promoting it. Uh, people are going to be tuning in. What what are they doing on TNT? What are they doing on on ESPN? I, I mean, the the previous rights holders, I think it was fair to say, were were felt pretty checked out over the last couple of years. So yeah. um, that's an opportunity. You suddenly had a lot of probably lapsed hockey fans or you know fans that had drifted away coming back. Maybe even some brand new fans saying, "Okay, you know what? I'll give this NHL thing a try. It looks good. The highlights look cool." And they sit down and watch a game. And and the question is, what they saw. When they sat down last year, um, did that convince them to stick around or did they go, oh, you know, this this isn't all that good and, and click off? And, and we don't know yet. I, I, I'll say this. There's nothing about this season that would cause ratings to go down. This season's been interesting. There's lots of, you know, there's some fun storylines. There's yeah. teams are up and down and higher, yeah, a little bit. A um, little bit higher score. Well, I yeah. mean, look, like Nikita Kucherov is on pace to have a, a better season statistically than he had when he won the Hart Trophy and the Art Ross a few years ago. Nobody's talking about him, right? Yep. Like, no, no, that's uh, you know, that's that, that's true. That it's you know, it's it's up a little. I mean, it it it's compared to last year, scoring is up 0. 0.02 goals per game right now, and and last year was a jump over over the previous year. So you know, it's we're we're talking 0. 0.2 goals a game from what it was two years ago. Which means if you sit down and watch your team. Um, Every two weeks, you will see one extra goal. So, I, I, you know, I, I don't know if if we're we should be hanging the mission accomplished banner quite yet on on the scoring thing. But hey, it's it's a positive. The numbers are going up, and and that we're seeing that go up on the the star players. That's all good. Um, but yeah, there, there is no 
there is nothing that has happened this year compared to last year that would make you say, oh, well, the, this is the problem this season. Um, I, you know, it, it doesn't help, I'm sure, that a team like Chicago, which is a very strong market, has been has been quite bad. Um, I don't know what the numbers look like in uh, in Canada. I haven't seen those yet. But, you know, Montreal having another bad season, I'm sure, doesn't help. Um, but, you know, again, that that's also the flip side of that is the NHL is a as a league has picked a small handful of teams and said, these are our marquee teams. It's Pittsburgh, Chicago, you know, New York, Toronto, Montreal, handful of others in the States. They get all the attention. Those are the teams we're going to market. We don't market the stars. We don't market the other team. We, we just focus on these teams versus, I keep going back to the comparison, but the NFL, you know, oh, Brett Favre's in Green Bay, our, our smallest market. Okay, well, we're going to turn Green Bay into a marquee team. We're Peyton Manning's in Indianapolis. We're going to turn the Colts into a marquee must-watch team. You don't see that in the NHL. Uh, so, you know, that that could be part of it. But ultimately, I do think the the ratings drop as as much as it was sort of a shock to see uh, yesterday. I think Sean uh, Gentile explains really well why it, it probably isn't the sort of story that uh, that it maybe first seemed like. You know, as we're, we're hitting the All-Star weekend here, I think it's a natural time. Look, a, a lot of teams have basically hit the 50 uh, game plateau of the season. You know, we're we're kind of five eighths through the season, so to speak. And it's, it's a kind of with this pause, I think it's a natural time to, Hey, like if, if the old, if the playoffs started today, uh, game and mm-hmm. as I look, I'm going to do this based on points percentage. I'm not going to do it strictly looking at the standings. Cause there's a discrepancy. Yep. Uh, certain teams have played four or five games more. So if you sort the conferences by points percentage, let's start with the East. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to just tell the listeners here. This is, these are going to be the playoff matchups if the playoffs started today, uh, based on points percentage, you would get Boston, Washington, you'd get Carolina, Pittsburgh, you'd get Toronto, Tampa. That that one feels like it's been locked in since opening night, oh, yeah. uh, basically mm-hmm. Toronto, Tampa. But the one that's starting to feel really locked in, Sean, and that I think we should start getting super excited about, it's Devils, Rangers. Uh, yeah. Devils, Rangers is starting to feel like we're getting better than a 50% probability of that happening. Carolina is starting to to kind of push into the Boston stratosphere of, hey, maybe they can sniff out a president's trophy, like they can maybe win that division. Devils and Rangers feel like they, they can maybe get a little bit more distance between themselves and Washington and Pittsburgh. How great, as we talk about ways to market this game and make things fun, uh, I mean, Devils-Rangers might be it, right, in round yeah. one? Yeah, that would that would be a really fun one. And, uh, you know, that that's the this... Playoff format. This is what it's supposed to do, right? Is get these division rivalries, and it it really hasn't hasn't worked to the point that I think a lot of people would like to see it changed. But um, Devils Rangers that that could be a real good. One. We haven't seen it in ten years. Um, obviously, the the history there going back to ninety four and 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 beyond is is excellent. That that could be a lot of fun, and and I mean, two really good teams too, obviously, and that would be. Uh, a fascinating matchup to watch play out. Yeah. And, and as we talk about like, you know, time to market stars, like, I mean, Jack Hughes, you think to mm-hmm. yourself, if he was playing on the other side or if he was in Manhattan, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, it, it'd be r- ridiculous. He is really starting to establish himself as a top five, 10 player in this game. And, yep. You know, a, a playoff series against the Rangers, just imagine what that, what that could stage. potentially do for yep. him. Right. Yeah. That would be, uh, that would be great. I yeah, that would be that would be a real fun one. Um, and, and then the other, I, I guess we should say we're looking at points percentage, but essentially, 
Washington and Buffalo are are almost tied for that last spot yeah. based on on points percentage. If if you flip that, imagine Buffalo Boston. Oh, Adams Division Bu- classic. Run it back, old Brad school. Brad May dropping the Brad puck. Brad May drop the puck. That's what I said. Uh, I, I was on Buffalo radio yesterday. I said we got to get Brad May out there to uh, to to drop the puck. Maybe throw it between uh, uh, Ray Bork's legs and uh, just get that going. I mean that oh. that could. That could be a lot of fun too, and uh, um, yeah, you know, could could be. It, look, it's it it stinks in a way that it again we're at the fifty game mark, and it all already feels like we have two of the four matchups kind of locked in on the East. But at least they're real good matchups. I mean, <laughs> as a Leafs fan, I hate the idea of it of it being Tampa again. But and if everybody else would be sitting there going, "All right, let's uh, let's see it," uh, and it's funny you talk about Buffalo. Uh, I'm worried you put a down goes Brown hex on them. Uh, they they it, it was a beat down Wednesday, Wednesday night. It wasn't like, uh, hey, they're here to hang around Carolina. That was a five. And, and again, we should be talking about the Hurricanes a little bit more than we probably do. They've won what a seven in a row. They're they're pushing to the top of the standings. But man, that that's a tough way for Buffalo to go into the break because they could have gone into the break you know, technically holding down the last playoff spot in the, uh, mm-hmm. in the East. And instead they're on the wrong side and I'm uh, of a five, one loss. And I'm worried you put a jinx on them down three, nothing right run. away. Tage Thompson leaves the game. Oh, uh, yeah. Man. I may Tage have Thompson I gets gotta, hurt and they're down three, nothing 10 minutes into the game or whatever it was. It, you know, I, it used to be, I, I've been writing this Monday column every week for, for years now where I, I do my rankings. And it used to be that if I didn't rank a team in my top five, people would be mad at me. That, you know, how, how come you don't have the Islanders? What do the, this team have to do to earn your respect? And now it's flipped the other way. Now I, you know, I, I, I don't put a team in and people are like, yeah, good. Stop just, it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah get good, us that, good. You know, hold on a second. Don't put us back in. Wait. Oh, you dropped us out. Okay, good. Finally. All right. What is, what do we need to do to make sure that you don't put us back in the, in the list? Um, so I, I may be open to taking bribes is what I'm saying. If you're your fan base, I, I can be sitting there going, oh, geez. Yeah. You're. Yeah, the Rangers have been good lately. It'd be a shame if anything happened to that uh, to that team. Eh? It'd be a shame if they showed up in a top five and had to have a four game losing streak, wouldn't it? Yeah, uh, and, and l- real quick, let's look at the Western Conference because the West is really interesting when you sort it by points percentage. Because if you just were to open up your phone and look at the standings, you would see, well, wow, the LA Kings are in second place in their division. But no, mm-hmm. no, no. When you sort it by points percentage, they're technically the last. Te- they're tied with Colorado. But the Avs have what four games in hand on them? Five games in hand. Five so games really, in hand. Yeah. Sorry, five. So really, the LA Kings are the final, the eighth and final playoff seed in the West. Uh, so mm-hmm. if you're looking at this, the, these would be the potential matchups if the playoffs started today in the West. You get Dallas, LA. You get Seattle, Colorado, which is Oof. crazy. Uh, you get mm-hmm. Minnesota, Winnipeg, and you get Vegas, Edmonton. Like. Uh, Vegas Edmonton feels like those two teams are probably thinking that should be the conference final if if everything goes the way we think it should. Uh, but mm-hmm. but how about see? Imagine you're Seattle, and you're like, we've done it, we've punched above our yeah. weight, we've made it to the playoff. Who so who are we playing? Mm-hmm. Oh, the defending Stanley Cup champion. And I if, I will tell oh. you right now, and I this is not a don't don't take this as a knock on on the Kraken, but if that is the matchup. Everybody will pick Colorado 
in their brackets because not well, you only, you know, it's not only is it the avalanche and it's an expansion team and all this stuff, but we all know we've all had the experience of sitting down, filling out our bracket, our bracket, and then looking at it and going, Oh, wait a second. I've just got all the favorites. I can't do that. I got to have an upset somewhere. So I got to, Oh, you know, I give me a one versus four that I can pick. Oh, here we go. Colorado over Seattle. Yeah. I'll go on a limb on that one. Um, boy, it'd, it'd be a fun one. It's, uh, you know, the, those matchups don't, you know, they don't grab me in the same way, but, uh, um, they're, you know, they're, they're not bad at all. And, uh, yeah, LA and Dallas, you know, that could, that could be okay. The one that I would like to see, and we need, we need Winnipeg to jump up and the Oilers to drop down, but, but get that Jets Oilers matchup going again, again, like yeah. the old school spite that you're, you're, everyone's detecting a theme here. Like Sean just wants to relive the, uh, like 91 division format, uh, playoff. Yeah. But, uh, where's my Chicago, know. Minnesota. Uh, yep. Yeah, but Winnip- Winnipeg, Minnesota would be a real interesting one. That's uh, you know, it kind of kind of a geographic rivalry that hasn't really had a chance to uh, to breathe yet. But uh, you know, we we could uh, we could certainly help get it there. All right, we've got some voicemails to get to, some emails as well to read. Uh, you can always hit us up with an email uh, to the Athletic Hockey Show at gmail dot com or. And we've got a couple of uh, people that have done this. You can leave us a voicemail at 845-445-8459. Let's start with Chris in Vegas. Uh, you know, Pride Night has become certainly a talking point in recent weeks in the National Hockey League, in and around uh, Philadelphia Flyers and the New York Rangers. Chris in Vegas has some thoughts on that. With the stories about Pride Night at the Flyers and Rangers in the news lately, I just wanted to reach out and say thanks to the teams that I root for, for their support. As an openly gay man and a season ticket holder of the Golden Knights and a lifelong fan of the Detroit Red Wings, I want to thank those organizations for their Pride Nights this year and the participation of all the players. It means a lot to me and my husband to know that we are seen and appreciated by the organization and that they support the charitable organizations in the LGBTQ plus community. Vegas has sold specialty shirts to celebrate Pride Night that we still see worn by fans from time to time in the arena, and proceeds from the 50-50 raffle have gone to support the Gay and Lesbian Center and other great organizations. I appreciate that all of the players on both teams supported this as well, and realize that it's about acknowledging and appreciating the various fans where you live and supporting either existing or future teammates who decide to come out. It's not about religion or politics, in my opinion, but how you're going to treat your neighbors or your teammates. I know that the NHL and team organizations appear to be living up to the sentiment as well as the vast majority of players. My family and others in our community appreciate it. Thanks for the show. Bye. All right. Listen, Chris, we, we appreciate that. That was a heartfelt um, uh, voicemail. Uh, you know, and I'm going to get into this probably more on the Monday show, Sean, with, with, with uh, Julian, because we really did get into it on, on the Pride Night uh, um, uh, topic on Monday. And I got a lot of really, really thoughtful uh, emails. So very similar in tone to what what Chris uh, did on 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 voicemail. I had a ton of really thoughtful um, emails on on Pride Night that I, I want to. I'm going to save those for the Monday show if you don't mind, because I think that's mm-hmm. where we kind of handled it. And I, you know, I just I just really appreciate Chris in Vegas taking the time to give us that phone call because it, it's those types of uh, voicemails that. You know, I think they land really well. And I think if you're a listener to this podcast, if you're a listener to the show, um, you can understand why uh, Pride Night means so much to fans like Chris, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and not much 
to add, I think Chris said it all, no. uh, other than, you know, I, I have heard uh, from, from a few different angles where people in, in the wake of, of the Flyers controversy and now with the Rangers saying, you know, is this worth it? Is this worth it for the league to keep doing this? Uh, and there's your answer. This is why it's worth it. Yeah. This is, no, no, this is exactly. why it, we got to keep it going. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And I think it's important to have that type of visibility. Um, I just, like I said on the Monday show, I want it to be authentic. I want it to be authentic. Um, yeah. I don't want, uh, you know, uh, stuff that's just been done for the sake of it. But when mm-hmm. then when you listen to Chris in Vegas, um, you understand why it's important to be authentic and to have this, uh, this mm-hmm. type of uh, night moving forward. To Travis we go. And uh, we were talking about this. Maybe we should bring Travis on as a guest at some point. Uh, Sean, because I think he falls into the age demographic we were talking about of somebody who maybe grew up kind of first favorite fondest memories in the in the Dud Puck era. But here's uh, Travis with a little appreciation for number 77. I'm a Kings fan from Southern California, and I won't make you two feel too old, but I'll say that my birth year starts with a nine. Anyways, I wanted to thank Sean for going to bat for my favorite player of all time, Ray Bork. Not all of this generation's fans take Lidstrom over him. But since All-Star Weekend is coming up, I wanted to say that it'd be nice to hear a shout-out about how Bork went, I believe, without missing a shot two years in a row uh, in two back-to-back All-Star games for shooting accuracy. And I can only think of John Klingberg, perhaps, as a defenseman as even close to as good of uh, shooting as him in today's game. But I uh, would love to hear your thoughts about those old all-star games. And uh, thanks for always having that great podcast. All right, there you go. You know, I think, and I know that, Jen, by the way, speaking of uh, this NHL 99 uh, series, like, like, like Travis is talking about your piece on Raymond Bork, um, you know, Bork v. Lidstrom was a really contentious debate for a lot of uh, people. A lot of people mm-hmm. thought Nick Lidstrom should have been higher. A lot of people thought he should have been, lo- whatever. Um, Sean Gentilly and Craig Custins are going to tackle NHL 99 in its totality on the Tuesday episode of the podcast. I want to give you a little plug for that. Uh, But yeah, hey, listen, really cool to hear somebody who clearly, like Travis said, was born later than we were. What do you say? Started with a nine. So, you know, I'm thinking, you know, late 20s, early 30s uh, to have that type of appreciation for Raymond Bork when clearly probably Ray's best offensive seasons were in the 80s before Travis's time. But but Travis wanted to give a shout out to uh, to Ray Bork there. Yeah, absolutely, and a, a deserved and the the Bork Lidstrom debate. It's great. I'm glad it's it's contentious. It should be. It's a tough question, and I'm I'm that's part of what I tried to do with my Bork piece was to steer it back to hey, this is a question, and there there's a I'm I'm tired of hearing like this is settled that you know like Nick Lidstrom was the second best defenseman of all time, and that's it. Maybe he was, but Ray Bork was right there with him, and uh, yeah, that that voicemail really captures the. The, uh, yeah. it, it's, it's hard to express this to younger or newer fans, um, how big a deal it was watching Bork go four for four in the accuracy shooting. Because I mean, the, these days you look at it and it would just, I mean, it, it would feel boring. I mean, he's got to shoot the, he, you'd have to shoot the puck into like, you know, Mickey Mouse on a cruise ship or something with their, you know, some, some gimmicky thing to, uh, to get people excited. But back then when they introduced the accuracy shooting, we we're all like, who's going to be the first to go four for four and to have a defenseman do it. 
Um, you're sitting there going, oh, wow, that's crazy. But then it comes the next year and he steps up and he does it does again. Does it again. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, it does like the interview with like Bill Clement or whoever, and, you know, talking about, you know, can you do it again? And he, ah, well, I don't know. Let's go out there and see. And just bang, 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 bang. And he, and he does it again. Um, and it was, uh, it was just, uh, it, it was really something back then and, uh, just elevated Ray Bork even more because that, that's what he did. He shot the puck. His, his stats around, uh, around shooting were, were just, uh, um, the, the, the number of times he got the shot off and as that helped prove, it wasn't just about bombing point shots in a 1980s style. This guy literally could just pick his spot from, uh, from anywhere on the ice. You know, I, I think there was something about those, uh, just to, to wrap up Travis's voicemail there. Those those early early skills competitions just seemed a little bit larger than life because it was new on the block. Like Ally Afraidy coming out with the slap shot, or Mike Gartner with the fastest skater. Like it was just like, wow, this is so new, right? And now I think you know, thirty years into it, you've got again. This goes back to uh, my point from earlier. Like, like a, a degree of cynicism sets in, right? But boy, when you first watch that stuff. In the early '90s, it was like mm-hmm. it felt like appointment viewing for us. Oh, the, I mean, the, the skills, skills competition was yes. the, was the absolute. Oh, they're going to do the hardest shot competition, and it's going to. Oh, it was so. Uh, I mean, it it really was a lot of fun. And and look, it's just the novelty wore off. Uh, that's nobody's fault. It's uh, you know, it's, you saw the same thing. I mean, geez, we we grew up in the era where the the you would talk about appointment viewing, the NBA slam dunk contest. Oh my goodness! You would just shut it down and uh, make sure you were watching that when when it was on. And then you know these days, I don't you, know, you never you ever even heard of half the guys that are in it because everyone's so tired of it. It's it happens, and unfortunately, I, I guess to some extent, the NHL is by trying all these new things, and some of us kind of roll their eyes at some of the ideas, but they're trying to recapture that and get something new and get something that'll be exciting for a few years. And you gotta you, you gotta give them credit for for trying it. Yeah, like the blindfolded Zegris and all that. They, look, they're trying. They're trying some gimmicky things. But mm. again, as long as it's engaging the younger audience, I think that's the part that's important. And, like, and I'm uh, sure there was somebody, you know, 30 years ago going, oh, we're going to shoot at styrofoam targets. Like, really? This isn't real hockey. Gordy Howe never would have done this. Exactly. So, uh, you know, the, try try some new, you know, I, I am very much someone who believes that you, you, you're in the entertainment business. You try new things. If some of it doesn't work, get rid of it. But I don't blame don't blame the league for the stuff that doesn't work. You know what? It's uh, I don't I don't care whether it's skills events or dumb comic book stuff or whatever. Let them try it. If it doesn't work, don't don't keep you know don't keep throwing uh, good money after bad. But try some. I, I won't criticize the league for trying something new. I mean, I I will. But yeah, yeah, exactly. What he's talking about. Yeah, that's your Monday column. It's already written. Uh, from voicemails to emails, uh, the athletic hockey show at gmail.com. We'll rip through a couple of these. Uh, Paul writes it. Look, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the um, the fact that like, if your favorite sports team is playing a big game, a playoff game, a game seven, do you go out to a bar and watch that or do you, do you stay at home? Paul writes in, love the show, l- l- listening to your recent uh, podcast. Uh, one of my favorite Down Goes Brown pieces was his... 20 types of depressed sports fans uh, back in the day as a lifelong Flyers fan. I think I've morphed into non-reaction fan and fan who suddenly has to go for a walk. Thankfully, I've got a little bit of happiness with the Eagles and Phillies in my life. Uh, but the only time I ever went out to a bar to watch a playoff game was 2019. I was in Milwaukee. It's Bears and Eagles. Uh, 
There's a bar in Milwaukee called Highbury that's both a European soccer bar and, as I found out, a Chicago Bears bar right in the heart of Packers country. Um, colleague in mine, uh, a colleague of mine is a huge Bears fan. I thought we had agreed to meet there for the game. I walked in wearing my Eagles hat. My friend was nowhere to be seen. I felt awkward. I was surrounded by 100 Bears fans. The looks I got from them are ingrained into my memory. Hence, I got out of there as quickly as I could. And I'm not sure what would have happened if I had stayed. That You know what? He says that Bears missed the field goal in the last minute. Well, that doesn't I'm really all, narrow it down. I, I think that was double doing. Oh, boy. Right? Yeah, Isn't that been, double doing? Uh, Cody, he um, he would have got Parkey? double doing to pretty soon. Yeah, on I, no, I don't out. think... Uh, Put it this way: I don't think the Bears fans would be missing the kicks on, uh, on yeah, on this guy. So, yeah, exactly. Anyway, but uh, Paul says uh, anyway. I stay home for games from now on. So there yep. you go. Yep. Um, and again, in our uh, never-ending quest to subtly turn this into a football podcast, uh, mm-hmm. Jeffrey writes in. Uh, was look, listening to your football talk in the latest edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. You guys were talking about how the Toronto Maple Leafs and Dallas Cowboys uh, were similar. Now, given Sean's description of the heartache and the pain caused by his favorite team, I don't really know that the Cowboys are the proper parallel here. I present to you the LA Chargers, of which I happen to be a fan. Uh, you got to remember that the... He, he, Basically, Jeffrey goes on here, talks about how statistically the the Chargers lose games and things that they shouldn't have. I can get behind the argument a little bit if you say the Leafs were successful at one point. The Chargers have never been. But trust me, nobody loses like my Chargers. Awesome job on the show each week that comes in from Jeffrey. So maybe is that is that it? Are the Leafs the Chargers? Boy, that's yeah, that's that's a tough one. Um and it's it's very funny because the the article that he's linking us to is from 2019, but then there's a note at the top saying they had to update it uh after the, right. the most recent ridiculous collapse. Um yeah, as far as you know, finding heartbreaking ways to lose, maybe uh maybe that's right up there as well. I don't know. That's one of the beauties of sports is you know, if you say my team's the best three or four other fan bases will jump up and go, no, my team's the best. But if you say my team's had the most heartache, you will hear from everybody. We'll explain to you why. No, in fact, it's actually their team that's that's got it worse. And uh, yeah, boy, the Chargers, they got a pretty good case. One more email here. And uh, this one comes in from Kevin. Uh, and we, I think it was maybe two, last week, last yeah, last week's pod. We talked about who who was behind the Bruce There It Is chant at Climate Pledge mm-hmm. Arena. We were like, are those, were those Kraken fans? Were those Canuck fans? We're like, who is doing this? Kevin writes in, love the show. I'm a hockey sicko who's lived in Seattle for about 30 years. I grew up, though, as a hockey player in Buffalo. For a little context, I was a youth hockey teammate of both Stan Bowman and Todd Marchand. Uh, I've got a theory for you here on the Bruce There It Is clim- uh, chant at Climate Pledge Last week, I am not rich enough to have Kraken season tickets, but I've been to their uh, barn for seven games in total. I think the Bruce There It Is chant was local and traveling Canucks fans who started it with maybe some knowledgeable Seattle fans joining in. Here's my theory. Pre-Seattle Kraken, the team to follow for any of us locally were the Vancouver Canucks. A lot of uh, locals were already Vancouver fans. A lot of them still are. We get CBC on basic cable here. And uh, uh, Root Sports Network was playing some Canucks games for a while. The late game on Hockey Night was always Vancouver. I just know a lot of local people who are still Vancouver Canucks fans. There are still uh, a lot of Canucks fans in the area. There's a small 
number of new to hockey uh, Kraken fans who've got into it. Uh, but I really think this was Vancouver fans. As a Sabres fan, I go to every Buffalo game here or in Vancouver. There's probably a thousand Sabres fans at the game, but it's not because they're traveling from Buffalo. It's because we don't live in our home city anymore. So I would venture that that was the case um, with Bruce. There it is. Anyway, love the show. I thought you guys would like a little insight from a hockey guy in Seattle. We're still rare around these parts. That comes in uh, from Kevin. It's a pretty good theory. So it's essentially, it's it's a lot of um, uh, former Canucks fans or Canucks fans who are transitioning to Seattle fans, but they still have a soft spot in, uh, for, for Bruce Boudreaux and for the Canucks. Yeah, that makes some sense to me. Oh, man. Yeah. I, you know what I would like yeah. to hear from? I'd like to hear if there's any Kraken fans out there who used to be a Canucks fan. Because, like, what is... How do you make that switch? Like, do you have to completely forsake the Canucks? Do they, you know, they're in your division. They're rivals. Like, do you have to now immediately say, I, I'm, I can't stand the Canucks. I'm, you know, I'm breaking that, uh, um, that link. Or do you, you know, do you, can you, do, do you sort of still have a soft spot for them? We saw that here in Ottawa, right? There was a lot of Leafs and Habs fans. And uh, the, the, the way that that sort of uh, evolved over the years was interesting. I wonder how that's going in in Seattle like how do you how do you make the switch is it a clean break or or is it more of a gradual thing uh yeah 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 it's a great it's I think it's more gradual probably a little bit more gradual but uh yeah anyway I appreciate that uh, that insight listen we're gonna wrap up with a this week and I, I you know what I should usually I give you a heads up on the this week in hockey history uh and I, I don't know why I didn't put this in and maybe this <laughs> Maybe I should have. Maybe I, I just want to get your reaction of this because maybe, like, I had never heard of this until this week. Oh boy! Okay. But when I when I did the research for oh, what are we gonna do for this week in hockey history? And for whatever reason, I forgot to to send this to you. This is wild. Okay, this is from this week in 1954. Did you ever had you ever heard about the Detroit Red Wings playing an outdoor game in 1954? Yeah. At the prison. Yes, okay. The prison so game, I, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Perfect. I figured you probably knew something about this. This is wild, okay? So I got a little bit of a rundown here just to to, to educate the listeners. Just like I, I had not heard of this up until this week. So this week in 1954, the Detroit Red Wings decided we're going to play an exhibition game against a prison team. Mm -hmm. a team made up of inmates. Uh, it was the first ever outdoor game played by the Red Wings or any NHL team. And uh, newspaper, <laughs> new, news, here's what's weird. The Associated Press and newspaper accounts of the game uh, say that Detroit won the game 5-2. to two. However, according to witnesses that were there, mm -hmm. uh, the Red Wings were up 18 to nothing after the first period and then they decided not to keep score for the rest of the game. Um, probably a good, considering who they were playing against. Yeah, probably not a bad, uh, probably not a bad idea. Okay, so uh, a little background here, a little context is the original planning for the game started the previous year, about nine months earlier, when Red Wings general manager Jack Adams visited the Marquette Branch Prison while doing a promotional tour for Stroh's beer. I mean, sure. where else would you go on a promotional tour for beer than mm -hmm. a, uh, a prison? Yeah. While he was there, 
the warden asked Jack Adams, would your team ever be interested in coming to play? Adams said, yeah, but reportedly only because he thought it would never come to fruition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, you know what? It's like, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe this is like Jerry Seinfeld in the puffy shirt episode where he's like, ah, I didn't quite hear you. Yeah, sure. I'm in. Mm-hmm. I, like, what? <laughs> Imagine that it went from, like, how on earth did this happen? The Red Wings played a prison team and were up 18 to nothing after the first yep. I would read a long-form story on this. That's I, I wrote, uh, I think one time I wrote that, that it's that's not a hockey game. It's a Johnny Cash song. Like, Gordie Howe playing against Jailhouse. a bunch of convicted uh, felons. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess that just uh, most... Most of us would be intimidated to go into that environment, but I guess if you got Gordy Howe on your team, you're not too worried that uh, anyone's going to get out of hand. I like. I have the uh, the original uh, Associated Press story, I guess, from this, and it's it's a weird. Two thousand people showed up to watch this, um, according to the newspaper report. Yeah, they 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 sort of marketed it as not just come see the Red Wings, but also like, you know, these these nasty prisoners, what are what's gonna happen when they collide with NHL players? And there's there's a great quote from Ted Lindsay talking about how the 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 prisoners all loved him because he led the league in penalty minutes. And so they uh, he, he he fit right in uh with them. So it's yeah. uh um and, and it and it was it was great because it was an outdoor game, like this outdoor rink and uh and yet apparently the, the conditions were great. Like, you know, there were Quotes from the players saying like, "Oh, the ice was good. This was this was actually a nice uh, a nice rink to play on." I don't know how they had that at a prison, but there you go. Yeah, there you go. Anyway, if you want to do some more reading on that, by all means, just yeah, Google Detroit Red Wings outdoor prison game, nineteen fifty four, and uh, a whole bunch of hits <laughs> will come back. And uh, anyway, I thought that was a fun little uh, trip down memory lane. I thought uh, for for like I said, I didn't know about that. I figured you might know something about that. Sure enough, you did. And uh, now now you know about it too, uh, listeners. So listen, that does it uh, for this Thursday edition of the pod. A reminder, Tuesday. Hey, don't you like this too, Sean? That we're directing all of the hate and the the feelings towards the NHL 99 project. They're all Mm -hmm. going to Custance and Gentilly. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're they're the ones who ultimately, uh, they were responsible for all the rankings that people don't like. So yeah. if there's one that you're mad about, that was that was Custance. So yeah, tune into the show and listen to him try to defend it. You, you and I, Gen- you and I mostly did the ones people agreed with. But yeah, do you think Jen Tilly will get any emails or calls about Sergey Fedorov's skates? Like how many oh. snor- snarky oh yeah. texts and emails are are voicemails you're gonna get? Sean learned uh, a that. valuable lesson about trying anything new and interesting. Uh, he's I'm don't do sure. it. Yeah. You'll get a list. You'll get a stat line next time. Don't worry. Red Ruff, and right. I heard, are they going to have a special guest, Sean Fitzgerald, drop in to talk to take uh, uh, live phone ins uh, on on Scott Stevens? Maybe. Yep. Yep. Like and that, Mark that Messier will be was... joining them to explain that uh, yeah. why he's actually not even a, a top twenty uh, <laughs> modern era player. Oh man! But but in all seriousness, we do want to hear from you. We want your thoughts on the rankings. So. If you want to weigh in on any of the NHL 99 uh, project that we've uh, undertaken, good, bad, otherwise, send an email to the Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com. Here's the only thing I'm going to ask you to do a little bit differently this time. If it's in regards to the NHL 99, just put NHL 99 in the subject line. Put that in the subject line. 
and Gentilian Customs will try to get to as many as possible. So again, theathletichockeyshow at gmail.com. Put NHL 99 in the subject line. Tell us what you liked or didn't like or who'd you put in or take out or move, whatever. They'll try to get to that. And they're also going to be taking voicemails for that show too, I believe. So 845-445-8459 uh, if you want to, uh, to do that. All right. Uh, thanks again for listening to this Thursday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. Hope everybody enjoys uh, the All-Star Weekend coming up. And uh, we'll be back at it. I'll be back with Julian on Monday. And uh, right now you can get a subscription to The Athletic for $2 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show.